Hello, welcome to Supernatural Stories, the show where you'll hear real stories of the supernatural from real people all across Canada. I'm your host and producer of the show, Cal Goodbaum. As I'm coming to the end of the first season, I'd like to thank you very much for listening and supporting the show, sharing it with your friends, and reaching out with your stories that I have the privilege of sharing. I hope you enjoy the show wherever you're listening from. In this episode, you'll hear more true stories of haunted houses than you can shake a stick at, and you'll also hear about haunted roads. Near my house is a road that I'm fairly certain is haunted. The property value is not bad there, but I guess having a big house with a nice security system has little hope of stopping wandering ghosts. I think that the reason you don't hear about this haunted road is the same reason I'm not even going to tell you the name of the road. Perhaps the ghosts have struck a bargain with those living there nearby that each would rather be left alone. As long as not too many people set foot down the haunted road at night, the ghosts will not disrupt their sleep, won't haunt their houses. Are ghosts real? As real as anything else is real? If not, it gets to be a linguistic trick to explain the ghost stories in this episode. So why then? Why haunt the living? I don't know, but hearing the stories in this episode makes me at least glad I don't have to deal with it. So I promise I won't share my own haunted road stories. Here are some from Lori, Bernard, William, Sandy, and this first one is a return storyteller, Kate, from Knoll, Nova Scotia. Probably about four years ago, me and my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, my husband and my father were all home. My son was a baby. He was probably in bed having a nap. My husband and father-in-law left, and then I asked my father, could you go up to the store and get us the buns? We were having hamburgers. And he said, yep, no problem. So he left. My mother-in-law was standing outside on our little patio stones having a cigarette. And all the windows were open along that side of the house. And I went out past down that length of the house to get something. And as I came back, I heard as clear as day a man's voice talking outside beside my mother-in-law. But I didn't think anything of it other than, oh, that's dad. And then as I walked by the main door to turn to go to the kitchen, I clearly see that the cars aren't there. So anyway, I get to the counter, I put whatever I had down, and the door flies open, and my mother-in-law's going, Katie, Katie, get over here. She still had a cigarette going, so she didn't want to come in. Anyway, she said she was standing there having her smoke, and sure enough, she heard a man talk to her behind her. And her natural response was, yes, Dawn, because that was my father's name. She just turned around and said, yes, Dawn. And thought, of course, nobody was there and almost crapped her pants. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, she told me and, oh, my God. And I said, well, welcome to the family. <laughs> that story was from Kate, who I spoke to over the phone from Nova Scotia. Next, you'll hear from Lori in Winnipeg. I was actually living there right up until this past October. The history, a couple of people had killed themselves there, right? My fiancé took his own life in my garage. For the longest time, I, I was more or less stuck with his pickup truck, and because I couldn't, um, 
I couldn't change the ownership to me and I couldn't, like it, it was it was a legal dilemma. I couldn't do anything with this truck and it was sort of stuck there. So I found a way to get rid of the truck any, anyhow. I more or less gave it away. So I had a man come to take it away, get it out of my garage so I didn't have to see it anymore. And the day that we all went in to get this truck, it hadn't run in over a year because I was sort of disgusted and, well, I didn't want to touch it. It wasn't mine. They started up the truck and went to go and uh, went to open the garage door and uh, the thing slapped right in. And like, everybody stopped and stared at each other. When... Um, my fiance had had hung him while well, he hung himself in there is what he did um he i think he uh he must have known like i don't know you think back about these things and you know should i see it coming or what and he that day had taken the truck and turned it around he normally had it parked uh facing in to the garage like you drive in he had it actually backed in which was not that easy to do because the truck was supposed to be repossessed which i think was part of the reason why he did what he did so he was getting it ready in case they had to come and tow his truck away and uh so that's how it was left that's how it sat and this friend of mine came to but we didn't even know if the thing would start so started up there was like myself and this fellow i knew and a friend of his helping him and yeah, started the truck, which was really surprising it even went, and then went to open the garage door. The thing opened halfway up and and then just like slammed right shut. Scared the hell out of all of us. Like we got it open and he took the truck in the end, but it was like, a mo like all of us, like just, we all turned white. Like it was really weird. <laughs> I had a roommate living in the basement and he had rope lights all over the whole basement and you could turn the rope lights off and there'd be sections of them that would still keep going, like turn themselves on and off and uh, especially outside also, that's just the basement, but outside, uh, hanging on the garage, we had all kinds of lights and stuff, sort of a you know, bonfire thing in the backyard going on and uh, those lights turned themselves on, on and off all the time. No power. It used to scare us, but it, like I said, I was there for so long, and I I guess you could say I kind of know who it is. <laughs> so it sort of got to me, you know, it kind of scared me at first, but then after that I was like, oh yeah, there you are again, you know? <laughs> My fiancé and I, uh, when we bought the house, like say we moved in March 2008, and we slowly became friends with uh, the one neighbor, uh, and he was the one who finally told us, you know, he, he more or less pulled my fiance aside and said, okay, maybe don't tell Lori this, but <laughs> the, I guess two owners ago before us, the people that lived there, their son, he became upset about a girl and, uh, took himself in the garage and he gassed himself in there. I didn't even know about that when I bought the house at all. I can't say I really noticed anything about that garage before my fiance. Like, I, there were stuff that would go missing, but I never really thought anything about it. One time I remember actually being with my fiance in that in that truck, as a matter of fact, and he had a bunch of dangly things hanging off his rearview mirror, and there was something missing 
when he went in the truck and it was like something he always had. I think it was like a dog collar or something. He found it later on. It was like in the house, but there was like really no reason he would have brought it there. Especially in the summertime, you know, outside doing weeding and stuff and I'd lose my tools or whatever. Okay, I know I left this here, so wherever could it be? So we'll look around and if I couldn't find the thing, I'd say, okay, Glenny, bring it back. And for sure, you know, go walk around, do something else, come back, and it, it'll be like right in front of my face where I've spent, you know, an hour looking for it. My fiancé, his father had cancer, so what happened was the fiancé found out his father had cancer, and I think it was too much for A lot of things were too much for him anyhow. He took his own life, and then his father was actually still alive, and he was sort of declining the grandchild of the fellow with the cancer. She came and stayed at my house from Toronto because they wanted to see him for one last time. She was there. My fiance's brother also was at my house. It was the weirdest thing because this was all his blood relatives that I was bringing in and these people I really never even met before. But you could feel it. Like the second we went in my garage, you could cut the air. Later on, we're standing in my kitchen and I was making coffee. Turned around and then right away, both of them were like, oh, did you see that? And I was like, what are you talking about? And something apparently flew right across the counter, right behind my back. I, I didn't actually even see it. Two doors down from that house, there was a murder-suicide, apparently. Around the same time that the first man killed himself in the garage, the son shot the wife and, and himself. And I think the man still lives there. No misfortune row. A whole row of houses with really bad things that happened at them. If you have your own story you think ought to be heard, get in touch to share it on the show. Go to www.supernaturalstories.ca, which takes you to the Facebook page where you can send a message and work out a time to tape your story. I hope you all had a great Halloween. Here's Kate again with a story about a Halloween past. I grew up in a, a family haunted house. My kids were the seventh generation. So a lot of people have been through that house and left their mark, evidently. This was grade eight Halloween. My mom had said I could have some friends over, which I did. And they came over and we went out trick-or-treating and everything else. And then we come back to my house. There was So there's four girls. I set them up on the floor right next to my bed, my three friends, and then I was on my bed. My friend Tara, who was closest to bed, woke me up in the middle of the night. And she said, oh, my God, I just saw a woman over in the corner. And I said, what? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? She said, I just saw a woman in a white dress, and she was standing over in the corner over there. And where she was describing, there's a four-foot knee wall, and no one could stand there. She begged and begged to get up in my bed because she was terrified and finally I said, fine. And so I let her in my bed, but of course she eventually worked me out of the bed and I fell on the floor next to my friends in her spot. I was fine, I didn't care. So I rolled over on my stomach and went to sleep. I woke up, I couldn't tell you how much longer later, but I woke up and my bedroom floor normally would have had this ugly blue carpet on it. And of course I was laying on top of blankets and I had a pillow and everything, but when I woke up and looked down, I was actually on bare wooden board back in the way the houses were hundreds of years ago. First, I'm just trying to figure, like, what is going on? The floor is different. All of a sudden, the floorboards start to shake. 
and they started to actually pop up. I could see greenish light beneath the cracks and the openings as the boards sort of, and I'm just laying there on these boards thinking, oh my God, what's going on? And I could see teams of rats running, just running in one direction, going, going, going. And I could remember thinking, what is going on? And no sooner did I think that, the board settled down. I saw the carpet reappear, and all of a sudden my hands were on the blanket. Just looking over at my friend Jenny, and she was still fast asleep. So I just went back to sleep. And then the next morning, we were in the dining room of our house downstairs, which was the room underneath my bedroom. And Tara dropped her fork and said, oh my God, that's the woman. And I said, what? And she said, that's the woman I saw last night. And she was pointing across the dining room to this picture of my great aunt Mildred. And she said, that's who was standing in the corner of my bedroom. It's almost a 200-year-old house, so the, the floorboards looking like that were probably how it looked when it first got stood up. And there was a short period of time where it wasn't inhabited. I would see my great-great-grandmother walking around the house, and she's been dead since 1938. I'm just used to it, so for me, it was very normal. <laughs> My great aunt that she saw actually did die in that house, in that room below my bedroom. The old dining room used to be great aunt Mildred's bedroom. She died when I was four. Up until I was about 25, I actually believed for years that I had seen her die. But then when I recounted the story, my father corrected me and said, no, that's not what happened. I said, oh, I apparently slept through all of that. I just dreamt going down and seeing the whole thing happen, her having her stroke, my father coming down and helping her and calling 911, and going through the process of the ambulance showing up and everything. My mother said that when my father got up, because he had heard Aunt Mildred calling his name, my mother came right to my bed and I was asleep, and the only thing that woke me up was the ambulance, and by then she kept me in the house so that I didn't see anything, because where I was only four, they didn't want me to get upset and all that. Did you hear Kate's story last episode about the glitch in reality? If not, you missed out. Go back and check out that episode, Reality Alternate, for some interesting stories with doppelgangers and such. This next storyteller, Bernard, knows all about doppelgangers and all about haunted houses. Back in episode 11, Bernard shared his stories about doppelgangers, haunted houses, and more. But this story about coming upon a haunted area of road stood out in my memory. It's one of the two haunted road stories he tells in that episode, so check it out if you haven't. Here's a preview. When I was in high school, on graduation night, my friends and I decided to get into a car, get a bunch of beer at the local liquor store with the local Papago and Navajo Indians would wait outside and you'd give them some money and they'd buy booze for you, right? Because you weren't of age. Got into the car and started drinking. Drinking in the car, that's what we did in those days. Driving all the way west, we went to one of the foothills. We were on about a 500-foot level looking down into another little valley. What we saw were what I thought were little fireflies, but they were all green and they were round and they were large. So I said to the guys, you know, I used to hear from Agripina, if you ever see a green lights at night, that's where the brujos were buried because that's where they get their power. The brujos are warlocks. Just as I said that, we were outside the car, okay, looking down. It's not as if somebody threw a rock at the car. We were way up there. 
but it came straight at the car and made a dent in my car. And a guy says like, you know, Scooby-Doo, whoa! We all got in the car and I'm driving in this narrow road where there's lots of dips. Arizona has all these dips, you know, they're often flooded. So we were like going down and this way and that way. And um, off to the side in midair was a tumbleweed <laughs> following the car in midair. You see tumbleweeds in the desert, but they're usually with wind. Friend Petey, drive uh, faster! I said, I can't, we're gonna get killed. That's what it wants to do, wants to kill us. We went, got down to the bottom, right? And of course, when you got down to this one area, there was a dip. The car went airborne yeah. and it landed. We are like, oh, Jesus Christ. I just kept driving north. I didn't know where we were going. We're just going to go north. And turned on this, this street. And God, we were like right there in a very lit part of town. And in the middle was a graveyard. It must have directed us there. So there was a little park at there. And the guys were like laughing and we were all nervous and stuff, you know. And so as I look out there, I see these figures in hoods. And they're jumping up and down. And as the guys were like laughing and carrying on in a nervous way, um, every time I blinked my eyes, the hooded figures were another maybe 20 feet closer. If you want to hear the rest of the story, you'll have to listen to episode 11, and it's a two-parter. Back in episode two, William told a story about a haunted barn near his home on Texas Road. Outside Windsor, Ontario, this road has been alleged to be haunted for decades, but it was back during the heyday of the road's reputation that William and other kids who lived in that remote area played pranks on passers-by. Travelers from Windsor, whose world was made a little spookier by visits to Texas Road. Texas Road, and I think almost every town, has a road that's got this kind of reputation. And the classic story from Texas Road, you've probably heard it before, it's an urban myth, it's where a couple are out in their car. Maybe the boyfriend has to only get some gas somewhere. And the girlfriend is sitting waiting in the car and she's hearing dripping sounds on the roof. And she gets out and there's somebody hanging with no head or something on above the car. And the blood's hitting the car. Or else, the other version of the story is somebody tries to get into the car while they're driving by, and they take off. And when they get home, they get out of the car and they find somebody's hook for a hand <coughs> stuck in the door handle. A lot of the stuff that happened, you can actually explain, but I think because there was a cemetery and there was this weird bridge and there was, it was deserted and nobody was around, this road took on the job of being Windsor's lo- or Essex County's local haunted road. And as I say, some of the locals like John Mitchell used to get a lot of fun out of going out at night and scaring people. only added to the reputation of growth. Brother and I put a, like made a head out of a coffee can and stuck it on the bridge just 
hide drugs. Because there was a, um, beside the river, there was kind of a, a little valley. And people would come and dump garbage, like scrap, you know, cans and washing machines and stuff in that sort of hole. And people would come and hide things there. I don't know why. you think there'd be better places to hide stuff. Now, what happened is the town closed the road. So right in front of our house, they built a berm, which is basically a pile of dirt, you know, four feet high across the road. So nobody could drive into. And I think the, the rationale was the bridge was unsafe and they didn't have the money to fix it. So on each side of the bridge, they built a berm. And because once we built our house, somebody built next to us and somebody built next to them. So the stories of Texas Road started to sort of disappear because there were people living there now. And so it wasn't so attractive as it was when kids were looking for a cheap throw. But the reputation of the road has persisted over the decades. So admittedly, not all hauntings are real. Some of them are caused by natural phenomena, and some are the result of tricks. What do you do, though, when you know specifically the exact spirit who is haunting your house after taking their own life? This next story was told to Sandy, who shared it with myself and a group of friends at a campfire in Toronto, so I apologize for the sound quality. So there's this girl I used to go to college with. Her name is actually Sandy, just like me. And she comes from a Native American family. The story kind of starts with Sandy's grandmother. So when Sandy's mother was young, her grandmother committed suicide by going to the lake and drowning herself. And it affected Sandy's mother pretty much her entire life. So ever since that suicide event happened, she's been plagued by this like very dark entity most of her life. It would bring her nightmares. Um, she would see shadows in the night. Stuff that was very important to her would disappear. One night, Stanley's mother woke up and she had like the three mark scratches on her. One day, of course, she got pregnant with Sandy herself and she went to a psychic because it was around time where everything in her life seemed to be going wrong. She was facing homelessness, you know, she was unemployed, she didn't know how to have this kid, obviously, like everything in her life was going wrong. And the psychic told her that this child will be your protector, will be your light, and that as long as this child is around, that entity that's following you around. And mind you, she never told the psychic about this entity at all. Like, so the psychic completely brought this up on her own. So the psychic told her that this child is going to be your protector, it's going to be your light, it's going to be what keeps the entity away. Sandy is born, and Sandy Nan tells me about, she skips forward, and she tells me about this one night where she's in her room, and she wakes up, and she's sitting in her bed, and it's roughly the golden hour, 3 a.m. She turns on her lamp, and then she sees this dark figure moving across her room and coming towards her, coming towards her bed. She was telling it, I'm not afraid of you. Like, what, what are you doing in my room? I'm not afraid of you. Go away, right? You cannot hurt me. You cannot hurt my family. Suddenly, as she's talking to this thing, this dark mass, whatever it was, started moving away. 
and then it disappeared into the hallway. Ever since that night, all the stuff that was happening in the house previously, like the shadows, the stuff disappearing, it was way less what it used to be. Her mother went to this uh, therapy session and all of a sudden it starts crying out of nowhere. It just starts bawling her eyes out. Starts confessing, saying, I hear her, I hear mom, I hear her talking to me about dying so young and leaving me on my own. And that she's sorry that she, uh, that she took her own life and left her in this world alone and that she wished she could be here. And she starts telling her mom to the air, you know, I forgive you. I love you, I forgive what you did. And then after that, everything stopped. No more stuff disappearing, no more dark shadows, nothing. I spent several hours editing out the sounds of crackling fire and gusting wind to make that story listenable enough for you. Originally, I didn't think I could use it. Each show takes days of work like this and editing, and I'm making it all myself with my own resources, money going to bring you the show. If you want to contribute, you can help keep Supernatural Stories going by giving a donation on Patreon or PayPal. It's very easy. There are links on the Facebook page which let you contribute a dollar or more, and I really appreciate any amount towards hosting costs, postering, and the like. Even better, if you like the show, tell a friend, tell a coworker, share the show on Facebook. We'll keep reaching new people, discovering new stories. Music featured in this show is by 23 and Beyond the Infinite with Darlene's Donut, Loyalty Freak Music with a Ghost Waltz, Pottington Bear with Shines Through Trees, Blob with Stone Cold, My Friend David Conton with Umbrella Fashion Police Waiting for the Bung and Cracked, Audionautics with Sneaking Up and Plantation, Snake Yellow Salesman with Arizona, Blue Dot Sessions with Marjorie and Arlen Vale, and Northern Haze with Kaina. The rest were original tracks. Thank you for listening to Supernatural Stories, and thanks for telling your friends about the show and supporting a place for the supernatural. Please leave a review on iTunes or Google or Facebook if you like the show. I appreciate it. Get in touch with your true story at www.supernaturalstories.ca. Till next time.